Good evening. Broadcasting from Stony Creek, Ontario. Here to give a daily teaching on the Dhamma. When we practice the Dhamma, we focus our attention on Dukkha. This is where we should rightly focus our attention. It is the object of study. The Buddha said we must know thoroughly suffering must understand thoroughly. You must understand that the things that are causing us suffering are causing us suffering. That we think are, that we wrongly think are bringing us happiness. It's important that we see the truth that, that, is not, that they are not actually bringing us happiness. that we see the suffering caused by unwholesomeness. We see the suffering inherent in the things that we cling to. This is the task, the main task in Buddhism. It's quite simple, actually. It makes Buddhism quite simple. So then we have to ask ourselves what is it meant what is meant by suffering and so we look to the buddha's words and find out what the buddha said on suffering and the words of the buddha are sankitena panchupadana kantha dukha at the five Upadana Kanda, this is suffering. In brief, Sankitena. In brief, five aggregates are suffering. Five aggregates of clinging, so, or the five uh, aggregates of things, the five groups of things which are the object of clinging. So this is where our study must take place. We must learn about these five things. So the first one, rupa, we have to learn about form. So we have to understand the physical. The form, physical form in Buddhism is still just a product of experience or a part of experience. So what we're talking about here is the four elements of earth, air, water, and fire. 
which are the four aspects of our experience of, of matter. When we experience hardness or softness, this is earth. When we experience heat or cold, this is fire. When we experience pressure, this is air. And water is the cohesion, the stickiness, attraction, draws entities together. This is the physical. It's the physical that underlines the whole of the conceptual physical world around us. So objects, people, places, things. All of this is conceptual that we put together in our minds based on the experiences that we have. So we see certain things or hear or smell or taste or feel on the world around us and we extrapolate and create entities out of it. And these entities give us the illusion of permanent stability of, of pleasure, satisfaction. When we look underneath and see the volatile building blocks that make up the experience, make up the entities, these experiences that arise and cease without warning, out of our control, and we see that they, this isn't a means of satisfaction, this isn't where happiness is found, this is actually a source of great suffering when we cling to it, when we try to fix it, we try to hold on to or push away various aspects of the physical world, pushing away people, clinging to people, pushing away places and things clinging to places and things, all this. This is what we study in, in insight meditation. And we study the second one, feelings. We study our pleasure. And we study our pain. And we study our, even our calm feelings. Any type of feeling, we study it. And in our study, we come to see that even happy feelings we can't find satisfaction in. Even happy feelings have no benefit or use to us, no purpose. And they come and they go. And it's not happiness that makes you more happy. Holding on to happiness doesn't make you happy. It's not the cause of happiness. It's not happiness that causes happiness. In other words, we, we can't hold on to happiness. When you hold on to it, it doesn't make you happy. It just makes you want it more. Need it. Eventually, this is upadana. You come to need it. You're dissatisfied when you can't have it. Which is inevitable because Happiness doesn't bring happiness. When we 
So of course study the painful feelings and neutral feelings, study the nature of feelings. This being not a refuge. You can't find refuge because they change. We study our, our memories and perceptions, recognitions, the similarities, the, the perception of the world around us, how we perceive things to be objects. So our actual perception of entities, people, places, things, this actual perception. We study that. But this is in the mind now, you see, it's not, nothing to do with the world around us. You see something and then your mind processes it and gets the idea of an entity. So even you close your eyes and you think of people, and when you don't see them, you can give rise to the idea of the person in your mind. And so, as I said, we, we cling to these entities. Because they're illusions, because they're only in the mind, they don't have any bearing on actual reality. So the, the entity that we hold on to changes, because it's, it's made up of impermanent experiences. And as these experiences change, the entity changes. So we become disappointed in people when they don't act according to our image of them disappointed in the objects of experience when they break or when they fall apart, when they disappear, when we can't have them. Clinging to people, places, things. Obviously this is a big one where we cry when we lose someone we love, when we're upset when we're near someone who we don't like, kind of thing, or afraid of certain people or so on. all of this suffering. We all study this. We study how, we, how these things make us suffer. And in the end, there's, there's no entity that can truly satisfy us. It comes and it goes. They all come and go. We study our thoughts, our judgments, what we think of things, our partialities, our likes and dislikes things that we would say make us most who we are, make us individuals, our preferences, our personalities, our emotions. Study all these and we see that our likes and our dislikes are not helping us. Doesn't make us, doesn't bring happiness to like something, to want something doesn't make you happy sort of the other way around, right? Or it's a vicious cycle anyway. You want something and so yeah, you get what you want and there's this pleasure associated with it. But it's an endless quest that is ever and ever less fulfilling until it doesn't fulfill and you have to jump to something else and try to find fulfillment, which of course doesn't last either, and so you're jumping and jumping from one pleasure search to the next. 
Of course, there's the the weighing when we like something, we are disinclined to things that are not like it, and so it breeds aversion to other things. It's not possible to like everything. A lot of it has to do with brain chemistry, it seems. Some people are more inclined to like lots of different things. But it's only a temporary thing. Like and like. The more like you have, the more dislike you build up. The more intolerance you build up to other things. Or to not having what you want. All that changes as well. You get what you want for a while and then you lose it. Sometimes for many years you can be in a perpetual chase, always getting what you want. For a whole lifetime, you know, there are angels or humans who can have great luck with their preferences. You know, you envy these sorts of people who always seem to get what they want. And live a life of positive thinking, thinking that all you have to do is think positively. You talk to self-made, so quote-unquote, self-made millionaires or billionaires. They develop these philosophies that all you have to do is, is try, you know. All you have to do is do what I did, because it works. I know because I did it. But they don't see what happened behind the scenes, how much of it had to do with past lives and... It, it was certainly deserved, but I also don't see exactly what caused it and don't realize that they're not perpetuating the cause. Wondering for a rude awakening when, when they lose what they've gained and they're not able to get it back. So we study these thoughts, we study our, not thoughts, but we study our, our mental. Mental, uh, I call it mental ecosystem. Hmm. All the many different things that grow in our minds. Study, and we see how suffering is caused here. Not always. You know, many of these are actually many of the sankharas are actually useful and lead us to to towards freedom. But we see how these how how they how suffering arises. And See what we're doing wrong. That's more important. I suppose equally important. We, we focus on the good ones. We learn what's useful and we learn what is harmful. And so we, and just by learning, just by studying, we incline more towards what is helpful and away from what is harmful. And finally, we study a consciousness. Consciousness is the big one. That's us. That's what ma makes us real, you know, makes us alive. Without consciousness, we would be computers, brains that were working, operating, like a computer artificial intelligence that appears to be thinking and playing chess and so on. 
that has no clue what it's doing. There's no awareness. It's that awareness, that qualia, quality, whatever you call it. It really has um, neuroscientists stumped or at a standstill because you can't, no matter how much you look at the brain and show how the brain works, you can't find the mind in the brain. You can't find experience in the brain. You can't translate, or no one knows how to translate. It doesn't seem possible to translate physical into mental. And so they have this belief that the brain causes the mind to exist, or gives rise to the mind, but they, you can't translate cells and atoms into experience. Well, we don't have to, actually. This is a corner that materialists scientists have painted themselves into it. physicalists who believe the mind to be a product of the brain so it's very easy in meditation to just bypass that and say well, well consciousness exists so just study it study consciousness why fool around with cells and atoms that are all conceptual anyway so we study experience we study our consciousness and it, sort of the overarching phenomenon that gives rise to all of the other aggregates they're all dependent on consciousness it's the mind that allows it all to happen it's the, con the awareness, consciousness so we study that we study our Awareness, we, at first we think it's self, we think it's I, it's an entity. We start to see that even this consciousness is not really under control. I can't be conscious only of the things that I want to be conscious of. I can't keep myself from being conscious of unwholesome things or unpleasant things. You know? can't shut out sounds that I don't want to hear, sights that I don't want to see, thoughts that I don't want to have. If, we can, if consciousness were ours, if it was us who was conscious, there was an I in the sense of a self, then we could control it. We could say, okay, no, no, I'm going to not think about that. Then, of course, we do. I'm not going to hear that, but of course we hear it. Or don't. You know, when we want to hear something and don't, when we want to see something and don't, we want to remember something and don't, all this. So we study that. We study how none of these things can satisfy us and we start to let go of them meditation is about freedom freeing ourselves from this constant search constant quest for satisfaction in that which cannot satisfy us that's the core practice in Buddhism so that's what we do when we practice the four satipatthana, the four satipatthana are basically the five aggregates in another form. It's another way of talking about them. So we have gaya, rupa. We focus on the body, we're focusing on rupa. Feelings is feelings, it's the same word. Chitta is probably best understood as the same as vijnana. And dhamma, dhamma focuses mainly on Sanyan Sankara, 
memories and the thoughts. Mainly, that it's, it's not an exact overlap, but or it's a it's a full overlap. It's just not. It's a bit messy, especially with the fourth satipatthana. But the, the satipatthana are practical. They're a way of approaching the five aggregates practically. So when you read what the Buddha taught it, about the satipatthana, it was how to practice. And by practicing them, you're able to understand the five khandhas. So there you are. It should be encouragement for the practice of satipatthana, insight through mindfulness. And you're understanding the noble truth of suffering, which is really, really important. It's what allows us to be free from suffering. When we see that we're causing ourselves suffering, we're thereby able to escape it, to be free from it. It's always a good thing. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Be well.